0: when I was 7 years old I stumbled into pet ownership (laughs) I came across a little orange kitten in my backyard it would hide out in the pine trees near our fence and come explore the yard when no one was around and I wanted it to be my friend (laughs) somehow I coaxed it inside Uh, I think that this might have involved uh, a bowl of milk which any good cartoon has clearly ta- taught you that that is cat's food, and bowl of milk. Everything I learned, I learned from cartoons. Anyway, I got this kitten inside, and I decided I would keep it. Uh, I thought I'd keep it in my room, uh, and my parents would have no reason to know about it. It would just be fine in my room. I'd, you know, I'd sneak it some food. Everything would be great. Of course, my parents, my parents knew fancy that <laughs> but they also knew that I would love this cat and they probably felt sorry for me they were just beginning the process of separation that would lead to their divorce I'm pretty sure the cat was my consolation prize and it worked the, this cat, it was an orange long haired cat uh, my dad thought it looked like paprika now that I know what paprika is it looked nothing like paprika <laughs> <laughs> but I could not say paprika uh, so she became pepper um, I was in charge of pepper as much as any 7 year old is in charge of anything and I fed her, I let her out I brought her in, I looked after her, we were buddies we'd curl up together and I'd tell her my woes pepper was my shadow she was kind of like a dog, she followed me everywhere um, and when i get home from school every day, I'd 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 feed her. I'd walk out on our porch, and I'd call out, Pepper, here, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get, it, get it. And she'd come, like, running out. So we lived out in the country. Um We lived kind of in this little development, this little suburb, suburban development between Monterey and Salinas. And, um, and she would go off in the day and hunt. Everything she, she we, we always had like you know mice and birds and and whatnot. Now that I know about cats and songbird death, I kind of feel bad about that. But I digress. Um, my cat would come home every day um, to this Lashkey kid. Um, you know, I'd, I'd come come back to this back come back home, and she would come running out of the hills. She'd jump over our fence. I could hear her clawing up the one side this this big wooden fence and get up there and I'd see her and she'd come down. She came to my voice, she came to that little call, (laughs) but she would not come to anybody else. Even if they tried the little song, even if they like dangled food, this cat was not having it. Um, She only came to me, she knew the sound of my voice. The power of voice is amazing. A voice can inspire comfort, familiarity, trust, fear, sadness, and the whole spectrum of emotions. It's amazing how many different voices there are, right? In a room of crowded babies, I don't know know how you guys feel about this, but I can pick out my own children crying. You know, there could be tons of others, and and boom, I've got that one. Um, A recent study shows that 99% of the time... Two words are enough for a person of normal hearing to distinguish the voice of a close relative or friend. Two words. Think of the hundreds, maybe even thousands of voices you can identify. Today we get a number of sheep-related metaphors. We get talk of pastures, gates, thieves, shepherds, In both the psalm and the gospel. I love how Jesus talks about the power of voice as related to the sheep. He says, they know his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Notice verse 9. The sheep will come in and go out and find pasture. What a beautiful Image Sheep walking peacefully, taking comfort in being with someone who knows them and who wants the best for them. I like that. That's, good. That's a good point for it. Throughout this passage... Jesus maintains a positive view of the sheep. In fact, his chief concern is the safety of the sheep. He is worried about people who break in and steal the sheep. He's worried that people will lead the sheep astray. And it's refreshing to remember Jesus' concern for the sheep and his trust that the sheep will know his voice. So often, people use passages like this as weapons against the very people Jesus wants to protect. People blame the sheep instead of blaming the thieves, bandits, and false shepherds. These people warn against going to another gate or not knowing the voice of the shepherd, but that's not what concerns Jesus. Jesus loves the sheep and knows them. He's not worried about them rejecting his voice. He's worried that someone will lead them astray. So often, people use the Bible or religion to hurt the very people it's intended to protect. I have this uh, priest buddy um, who has a has a at that time she was seven. Now she's eight year old daughter um, who who came up to him, like, one day, was really serious about something. They'd be talking about jobs at school and, like, what they all do. And she said to her dad, Daddy, are you a real live priest officer? <laughs> 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 the Malapop props of children are amazing. But it, it's so telling, cause, right? Some people get, take on these jobs like they are licensed to catch people. Licensed to... Come out and find any misstep and criticize it. License to catch us. They're gatekeepers protecting the gate instead of protecting the sheep. That's not what Jesus is about. He wants to shepherd his sheep, to bring them into pasture where they can come and go as they please. He wants to care for them, to give them life. He says, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. Abundance. Old Testament scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann identifies the tension between abundance and scarcity as the central theme of faith. and and central to humanity in general. Brueggemann describes scarcity as the way of Pharaoh, the way that stockpiles all resources and hoards them. Scarcity says there is never enough, or we are never enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not smart enough, or organized enough to make a difference. There's not enough money or food or time. Most often, the narrative of scarcity whispers to us. It softly hints that we should be afraid. We should cling to whatever we can as we look to the horizon with paralyzed attentiveness. That fearful gaze shifts our attention from the here and now and it tricks us into hating each other instead of addressing the anxiety in our lives but there's another way the way of abundance when we live with abundance we learn what it means to have enough we know that there's always enough. You are always enough. Everyone's in. Everyone counts. Everyone matters. Everything that needs to happen can happen. This is the loaves and fishes. This is the sower who scatters seed everywhere. This is the disciples that Sarah read about today in Acts, sharing what they had, distributing their wealth with glad and generous hearts. Brueggemann says that the central problem of our lives is that we are torn apart by the conflict between our attraction to the good news of God's abundance and the power of our belief in scarcity. A belief that makes us greedy, mean, and unneighborly. Brueggemann puts it this way, when people forget that Jesus is the bread of the world, they start eating junk food, the food of the Pharisees and of Herod, the food, the bread of moralism and of power. Herod, the Pharisees, Pharaoh, Trump, Le Pen, these are folks who lead the sheep astray, people who do not enter through the gate through Jesus, the one who says, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. No matter how small our portion may be, we are called to take our talents, our resources, our connections, and care for those who are in need. Jesus is calling us to feed his sheep, calling on us to lead his sheep to the shepherd, to the source of life in abundance, to the one who makes us lie down in green pastures. Who leads us Beside still waters, the one whose voice we know. Amen.